chance on here. Pulisic picks up the loose ball and he could be in. Christian Pulisic for Chelsea, 1-0. Quick thinking by Alisson, and if Salah could lift it, still Salah, Salah! The Ghost Goal Podcast. ride for a second oh god Alex you gotta stop with this crap how long is this gonna go on for Josie Josie We'll bring the we'll bring the liquidator down very slowly. I don't even know how that probably sounded in uh, <laughs> the actual recording, but I had to get it in there. Welcome back to the Ghost Skull Podcast. I'm Alex here with Javier. Uh, we're uh, very sad. It's not two Chelsea fans on the pod. Very sad to be here. It's right not now. two Chelsea fans on the pod reacting to uh, Chelsea winning the Champions League anymore. It's a Chelsea fan who uh, very confidently picked Chelsea to win said Champions League, and an Arsenal fan who bitterly sat there and convinced himself that it was completely ridiculous to envisage anything but a Manchester City win. So I'm here uh, basically to... That's fair. That's uh, fair. I'll take the, all Make this that. man pay the piper. And Javier, I want you. Uh, I want your reaction to Saturday's 1-0 win by Chelsea over Manchester City in the Champions League. Take great, it away. Uh, great little post, uh, you know, celebrations. I'm sure you were, you know, having a great time on Sunday, but I like that little pod with you and Hugo. Saturday, Saturday. Saturday, well, Saturday. We had a good time into Sunday, too. It was... Uh, Re- rewatched the match from start to finish, of course. The first thing I'll say, and uh, this was part of your take at the end of that pod, but Chelsea deserved to to win that, that game. Uh, by the way, Javier, just a second. That pod being the pod that uh, me and my younger brother Hugo, uh, both Chelsea fans, uh, recorded, I think, at one o'clock in the morning, the uh, night of Chelsea's win. We were both so hammered that we don't remember recording it. Um, but I woke up the next morning very early and uh, edited it together, and uh, it's a hoot. So go check it out if you want to see two drunken knackers talk about their team winning the Champions League and how unbelievable it was. But yes, Javier, carry on. We were great, as you were saying. Yes, well, I was saying you deserve <laughs> to win. I couldn't have possibly thought that Pep Guardiola was going to start such an attacking lineup. First, I was... I was shocked at no inclusion of Xiao Cancelo, who's been a mainstay in their back line versus fast offensive players. Um, and he's he just he can play all across the back line. And I, I Zinchenko was just not effective in this game, um, like he had been for City in 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 previous games. Um, and like I'd praised him before, he just didn't work in this game. Um, he he didn't have nearly as much of an effect on the game. And a lot of that's down to N'Golo Kante and how good he was. But the other thing, obviously, that was that was glaring was you know no no Rodri or 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 Fernandinho and having neither one of them on the pitch. While I thought it was going to give City maybe a little bit more control of the ball um, and slightly more attacking impetus, I knew it was going to leave them completely open to the counter attack and. There were several moments in that first half where Chelsea just got easy opportunities on the counterattack, and it wasn't like it was like one or two basic passes through that split the city defense in a Champions League final. Which, when when I saw that happening, I, I kind of 
knew, at least in the first half, Tuchel had won. Like, Tuchel, I, I was disappointed in Chelsea because I thought you guys deserved to have a lead and you guys did get one going going in before halftime, which was, I think, kind of fortuitous because you had missed a couple of chances that I think... Yeah, like Timo Werner's yeah, uh, usual two easy Two easy chances. chances that one of them was a little bit harder than the other, but it was like slightly behind him. But it, both of them were chances that you would have at least expected to, to trouble the keeper and to get on target. And one of them, I think, he just put directly straight at the keeper, and the other one he, he missed. And I know that he had the he had the run to make the space for for the Kai Havertz goal. Which, by the way, I don't think you praised Kai Havertz enough on the on the pod with Hugo. Um, I thought that yeah, he, I mean, I'm sure he, I'm sure we didn't me, praise a lot of for, players for enough. me. He was the player that I would have given man of the match if it wasn't for Ngolo Conte. Ngolo. Um, even though Reese James uh, would be third for me, he was obviously also absolutely brilliant. Yeah, but then but then there's Mason Mount. <laughs> You well, know, and then there's base amount as well. Exactly. So, I mean, I mean, I don't know if there's anyone on the team who you can really say played badly or like looked like they were out of place. Even even Timo Werner, like you said on that pod, I mean, you have to give him some credit. He he caused a lot of havoc for the Manchester City backline. I mean, they were running all over the place. I mean, he he brought out Ruben Diaz on that in the the Kai Havertz goal out to the wing with his run and that was and what left that space gaping in the middle. Now, do I think that if Jao Cancelo, if Rodri or Fernandinho had been playing, that goal wouldn't have happened? Probably. I think Jao Cancelo would have cut it out. Zinchenko wasn't alert to the danger at all. He was thinking more offensively. Cancelo's just much better defensive minded. Roger and Fernandinho, same thing. I mean, they they wouldn't be that hole. They would have dropped back to be either cover for, for all the things, center back or the wing back. For all there. things, I would praise Joao Cancelo for uh, defensive prowess is not one of those things. Well, when he, not that Zinchenko is much better, but I think it was just a situation where it was a perfectly constructed switch of play in a three four three that uh, was started by good distribution so simple, from Mendy. Though, Alex. It was, Mendy it was got very, the ball, very out, but Mendy got the ball out very early to Chilwell, who just dinked the ball around the. Uh, uh, I think it was Mares to Mason, who immediately had uh, had the ability to turn and see Diaz and Stones being uh, pushed out wide left for that Ferner run, and it was just Zinchenko who was next to uh, Havertz. And by the way, Havertz by the had way, all that space idiot, to run into, fuck, so idiot, fuck Diaz. You, you can look, and, you can look to Stones Diaz as well because. You just leave Timo Werner like he's going to be offside or he's going to miss. Like who gives a fuck? Yeah, but, like, but the thing is, doing? that entire half, the entire half leading up to that moment, I think the goal was in the forty-first minute. Uh, the, the Chelsea strategy, if we weren't able to just uh, pass out on the floor through the City press, was to uh, try to get balls out wide to one of the wing backs, and then for one of the wing backs to play a ball back to uh, whichever midfielder was there, whether it was. Uh, Jorginho or Conte or one of the center backs, and they would first time a ball over the over the back line of City out wide into the wing for Werner to run onto. And even if a lot of those never really came into to anything, maybe they ended up as throw-ins or just going out, just the threat of that constantly for the entire half set up for that eventual goal to happen because the that was the one pattern of play that Chelsea were having that was successful that the Man City players you know were aware to and were, were reacting to. And then it eventually costs them. So, yeah, I agree with you that Kai Havertz definitely deserves a shout for man of the match. He literally he was, paid back. He was his, unreal his, the his entire calls. game. He he held up the ball perfectly. He pretty much never gave the ball away. He was he had constantly an a threat. Tackle on De Bruyne. Listen, did you see his tackle on De Bruyne outside of our yes, own uh, eighteen yard box? But I don't box? know if you noticed, but he also fed both both of those chances. He had the cutback for Timo Werner, and he had the right. through ball for Timo Werner. He had no, the, he had a run into sick. a through ball. And I was the, about to say, to Pulisic, and yeah. he had the through ball to Pulisic. So all three of the chances that the other Chelsea players, the three big chances that Chelsea players missed. By the way, you forgot about that chance as well. Chelsea definitely had four out of the five best chances, I think. You were saying th- Chelsea had three yeah, out but, of the five. I think Chelsea had four out of the best five sure. chances in the match. But, but another another big part of, uh, I mean, expected goals whether you like it or not, I would say this is not a great advert for expected goals because I think the expected goals for this game was, you know, 1.45 for Chelsea and 0.45 for uh, Manchester City. When uh, in actuality, Manchester City had a lot of really good chances, especially in the first half that, you know, weren't quite shots, but were 
uh, on the crest of becoming really good chances, but were just cut out excellently by players like Aspilicueta, like Chilwell, like uh, Rudiger, and and Thiago Silva before he went off injured, and then eventually uh, Christensen you're, came you're just, on. You didn't. You just forgot to say the most. The person who had the most important cutout in the first half. No, I know, I know, I know, I know. I was. I'm, we're saving him for his own little segment because he was. He just locked down that wing. Reese James just locked down that entire wing. But I was, I was, I was using those other players to basically explain that City had a lot of almost chances that would have been just tap-ins if, or like the the Foden chance that was a straight up was a goal unless Rudiger comes in and blocks it, or uh, and of course Reese James when he gets first beaten by that direct ball by Ederson over the top early in the first half, he comes back, he nudges Sterling a little bit and then taps the ball out. Uh, to stop uh, Raheem Sterling from scoring and, and you know, making it 1-0 City. So <laughs> pretty much everyone on the back line had, like, a a defensive moment that was significant in uh, stopping a goal. And I think it needs to be mentioned that Chelsea now hold the record for the fewest amount of goals conceded in a Champions League winning campaign. We conceded four goals as well as, over the um, entirety the, of the, uh, the Champions sheets. League campaign. Yeah, most clean sheets. As, yeah, as well as the most clean sheets. So we now have the records for both the, goals were, the, the goals Champions were, League honestly, and Premier League the, winners. Other than the Real Madrid one, which least was a goals worldie, conceded. You, they were pretty stupid. I went back and looked. You guys conceded. You guys drew 1-1 with Krasnodar. You drew, uh, or sorry, that's you, the one time we were behind. You, um, yeah, that was the only time you were behind, and then I think, and it you, was a meaningless like last game of the group. And I think you conceded, and then we a conceded, goal to, we conceded a one-one to Ren to in Ren, Ren. Yeah. yep, and then Giroud scored the uh, winner in uh, injury time. Um, but then, other than that, it, and was, then it was the, the, Porto, cra- the, the crazy Porto Benzema and the goal Madrid, and the crazy right? Porto goal that exactly. meant nothing. So that's so our defense incredible. in this in this Champions League run, we were, we've had to face Manchester City clean sheet. Real Madrid, clean sheet now, in the second leg, totally, two goals scored. Atletico I mean, Madrid, two clean I mean, sheets. I'm sorry, but We're, like, we've done very this well. is completely unthinkable that this would have happened. Like, You can't blame me for thinking that it wasn't possible for Chelsea to win the Champions League when six months ago you guys were in mid-table in the Premier League, and I know you'd done like, well and still won your Champions League group, but... You know, six months ago was six months ago was December, the beginning of December. We were still in like the top... like four-ish in the beginning of December. We had just lost, like... You had to get your months straight, Javier. I, I meant going into January. We yeah, going into January. But when Frank was sacked. It's four months ago, four months. Get your math right. Don't make it like it was more than it was... Uh, really was, you know? Four months ago, I get it. You don't, probably don't think we win a, a, a Champions League, but I, I think all signs obviously point to Thomas Tuchel in that regard. Like, they, they have to. He's... He, he finally fucking did it. I, th- I think there were there were a lot of question marks about him individually as a manager. People don't really count the uh, league title wins at uh, I didn't PSG question as, him. I told you I was fucking horrified. Well, no, I'm just saying in. people in general. After he lost the Champions League final last year, people probably generally uh, questioned like you know, do we count the PSG for uh, league on titles? And now he's come in in the first four months of being at Chelsea, he's won the the biggest prize in club football. Uh, and he's probably got, gotten himself a contract extension, and uh, we probably look like second favorites uh, to push for the title next season. Would you agree, Javier? Chelsea, second favorites to push for the title? Uh, no, I would say you guys are still behind Liverpool for sure. Okay, we'll see about that. Yeah, I guess it's all about Virgil van Dijk. Yeah, I mean, back. it's just like I'm assuming van Dijk comes back and Liverpool are going to make a couple of probably big they're going to move on a lot of their deadwood this summer, I think, and and refresh the team a little bit and come back next season really strong. So I don't think we're going to see this this Liverpool or Klopp side grow, go stagnant, kind of like he did at the end of his Dortmund days. I don't think it's going to that's going to happen right here. I think this team's too good. One thing I have to touch on before we move on from uh, our Champions League talk, Javier, I don't think you've groveled enough, if I'm being honest, but... Uh, just uh, sit back and enjoy this one for you. Um, th- th- there's been a lot of comparisons made for Chelsea fans since it is the the second Champions League win uh, between this team and you know uh, the the first one in 2012. Like you know the older heads saying there's nothing like the first one. You know the the rest of a relatively new group of Chelsea fans over the last decade who've uh, jumped on the bandwagon. Don't mean that negatively, but it is true. The fan base has grown. 
I just think there needs to be a distinction made between uh, what these two Champions League trophies mean. Whereas 2012 was very much, you know, the the, the crown jewel on a, a great era of Chelsea winning and great players at the end of their careers like Lampard and uh, John Terry and Didier Drogba and Peter Cech all having big uh, hands in the final, well, not JT, but the rest of them. And, uh, and even some of them winning a few trophies after that, where they've gone on and they've moved on to that, that immediate summer after winning the Champions League in 2012, Chelsea spends $7 million on Cesar Aspilicueta, but no one notices because Eden Hazard was the big buy. And there's this whole new generation of Chelsea stars who, you know, have success of their own and win league titles and win an FA Cup and a couple of Europa Leagues. Uh, but it, it just throughout the decades since then, it just seemed like Champions League was not really our level anymore. And for someone like Aspilicueta to, you know, right, and Thiago Silva too, to right at the end of their career, get a Champions League uh, winner's medal and get to experience that and get to elevate their names up there with the likes of John Terry and Frank Lampard and Didier Drogba in the Chelsea history books is really special. But this Champions League signifies, you know, like a new uh, project at Chelsea. It's not the end of anything. It's it's not the one last ride to try and get the trophy. It's fuck yes, lads. Half our team is 22 or 23 or younger. And they've just played like the best players in their position in the world. Reese James looks utterly dominant at right back. Like... Even if Trent Alexander-Arnold hadn't gotten injured at, for England today uh, at their in their friendly, I would have said start Reese anyway. He's better. Uh, Mason Mount, I would put him up against Phil Foden. And we did, and we and we won. I'd put him up against Jack Grealish. He's as good, if not better, and more impactful on his team for what he does. Ben Chilwell went from a player that I was, you know, kind of hesitant about that would get like beat too often by players like Riyad Mahrez. He went from that to kind of shutting Riyad Mahrez down on uh, on Saturday and owning that left side and and being a threat at, at both ends of the field. So we've got a lot to look forward to at Chelsea. I didn't even mention Kai Havertz in that, <laughs> like Billy Gilmore. We've got Andreas Christensen, a young tw- center back who's he's still 24, 25. We've got yeah, a lot no, of years. I, if not, I'm not necessarily I, I, I saying agree. Chelsea are winning a di- the, are going to be a dynasty, but this is the beginning no, of something special at Chelsea. Yeah, this is the the beginning. I mean, you can't think of a more fairy tale beginning for a manager, for a player like Werner or like Havertz coming into these clubs. I mean, think about it for them from their perspective. This was their first year at Chelsea and they won the Champions League. I mean, there's no way in their wildest dreams they could have even thought that was going to happen. They probably thought three or four years down the line, maybe yeah, we're ahead we of schedule. That's that's yeah. what I've heard so the Chelsea uh, analysts who work for, for Chelsea it's TV scary say for, for everybody ahead of because Chelsea have done such good business in the last couple of seasons, and now you guys are going to have a shitload more money to play with, and I'm sure Tuchel's going to get 150, 200 million, and maybe yeah, maybe uh, maybe ahead of time. Now I'm saying that you guys are not going to be the second team behind Liverpool, but if you guys go and buy, you know, Lukaku and another midfielder and another defender or something. And it just doesn't, have, it just doesn't have, look like Lukaku's leaving. I think he just, I, I don't know. I'm just, I, I'm just, I just threw a name out there, but I'm yeah. saying if you guys, if you go and sign a bunch of players like that, then yeah, this is going to be a, you guys are going to be up there. I'm sure with, with city and with Liverpool next season. And, and then, and then this, this league is going to become super boring, right? Cause it's just going to be like United, Chelsea, well, well, Liverpool no, because, and city every no, season. Because look at, but look at the, look I at mean, the we what? say this it's every gonna, year, like the gap is going to grow. How interesting it's going to be. But if you look at the possibilities of a fully healthy, healthy Liverpool, a Manchester United project that took a, at least a step forward, this season, finishing in second and being probably more consistent than most others. Obviously, Manchester City are playing well. Chelsea just won the Champions League and then fit while finishing fourth. Leicester are, you know, they're going to be as hungry as ever to get into Champions League. West Ham are a surprise up and comer. We've got tons of top end like possibilities. I'm not saying all of those teams are champion, like are, are title contenders, but you could see one or two arising from I, that I guarantee pack. you right now that both you and Andrew are going to have, like, the top four be the same right now, next season. Like, you guys aren't going to change. So, Well, see, yeah, that would be considered a step back. 
just like it kind of is or was for this year that we were in the same position as last year, having to secure it on, on the last day. No, I know. I just think that you guys are going to the goal. It's and probably, you're probably what Champions say, oh, League maybe means to the players. Win, but. One thing you can't convince me of or unconvince me of is that winning a Champions League is definitely going to have a huge boost on a lot of our players' psyche, especially the young players. They're champions of Europe now. They're so, they played in what they could claim is the best team in the world. It's it's a huge achievement, and it just yeah, it gives you, you your team see, a boost. You can see it from teams that went from like Leicester Ever since they won their league title, a lot of those players that they had on that league title winning side were still good for two or three years afterward and maintained not like a title winning pedigree, but still like a top four. But like you said, winning a Champions League can grow, uh, can make the players grow in stature even more. But yeah, I mean, congratulations to Chelsea. Um, you know, I got to mention guys, for City before, uh, did, before did, we move did on. deserve it. I got to say before we move on, I heard on a uh, another Chelsea uh, fan produced podcast uh, recently a, a quote that I, I liked and stuck with me regarding Manchester City and their fans who admittedly I think were a little cocky going into this and I don't mean this patronizing but this Chelsea fan was saying you need your Moscow before you can have your Munich and you know as Chelsea fans that just translates basically to you need to have your heartbreak before you can fully enjoy it and, you know, reach the pinnacle and it actually means something. So congratulations, City. We gave you your Moscow. You're welcome. Um, <laughs> but we can move on now. That's enough Champions League. We can move on at least to mentioning the uh, the, the, the final Are you going to allow entrant. us to move on, Alex, now? I'll allow it. I'll allow it. You know, oh, 20 thank, minutes thank in. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Alex. That'll, that'll suffice for the Champions League coverage. You may come back to it. You never know. You can never know to talk enough about Chelsea. Right, we're going to be doing the Euros. Europe. It's just going to be like, ah, and Mason actually, was a from, god. From and, henceforth, and then Reese. Oh, jeez. And then, oh, yes, yes. No, no, no. Javier, henceforth, I will have you refer to all Chelsea players' names uh, as European champion Reese James uh, from now on. You, European you, champion no... Olivier Giroud. Yes, Exactly. Exactly. I mean, it's, big, it's just Ollie, how it has to be for Arsenal the next year. Chelsea wins a Europa and a, Chelsea, and a Champions League, and another FA Cup. He's uh, how do you how do you think players who like didn't play at all during like almost any part of this feel? I'm sure people like Tammy are like, ah, like I scored like a hat trick I mean, in the if, group if stage. I'm a god. If you're, like, if you're referring to Giroud as that, Giroud was our Champions League top scorer, and he was fourth place Champions League top scorer with six goals. He scored the winner at Rennes, four at Sevilla, scored the bicycle kick against Atletico. He deserves as much of the credit as anyone. He was a huge player for us in Champions League. You know, maybe Tammy Abraham a little less so. I think he had one goal against Rennes. But, uh, I mean, it's, I mean, most of those players are never winning that trophy ever again. <laughs> those backup players you mentioned. But I did just want to move on to mention the final entrant into next year's Premier League, a 50th different entrant into the Premier League. Brentford beat Swansea City 2-0 Saturday ooh, at 10 a.m. in the championship Brentford. playoff final. It's their first appearance in the top flights of uh, British football in general since 1946. Never obviously been in the Premier League. Uh, and they bring a really... Interesting. Uh, I would probably compare them most to Leeds uh, in, in their sort of approach. People keep throwing around the term Moneyball because they spend very little money and you know are very uh, frugal with the kinds of players they bring in. But all those players seems to you know perform it's, it's above kind of what's crazy expected how, of them. Yeah, how seamless they can get all of their best players. I mean, Ollie Watkins was there last season. Um, Right. Arsenal took a couple of coaches Saeed from them. Saeed Ben Rama. I mean, all of their best players have gotten poached in the last couple of years, and they doesn't made, matter. They brought in they brought level, in Ivan yeah. Tony from Peterborough after they lost Ollie Watkins, and Ivan Tony broke the champions uh, the championship record, thirty three goals scored in the the, the final uh, penalty ten minutes in against Swansea, and then uh, Emiliano Marcondes scored on, in the twentieth minute, and then right after. They went up 2-0. Even Tony, I tell you, he had an attempt from, I think, about 25 yards out where he just had no business shooting, and he just did anyway. And it just hit, like, from 30 yards, went across the keeper, hit the top left uh, crossbar right where it meets with the, the post, and went down to hit the goal line and bounced out. Oh. And it was the most absurd thing wow. I'd seen in that game. And I thought, 
this guy's going to be fine in the Premier League. This guy like backs himself to do anything, and that's the kind of confidence you need in your striker. I mean, he's obviously got the the stats to to back it up, but uh, it'll, it'll be interesting to see like what players they bring in, and even <laughs> when they bring in players, I doubt many of us will really know who they are. It's not going to be like major flashy signings. They're just going to bring in like nobody. But I wouldn't Danish be surprised players. if they stay up. Like, like, just yeah. No, I wouldn't like early on right now. The teams that are coming up, they are not the teams that are like the teams that are going down. I think all of these teams that have gone down are worse than the three teams that are coming up. So I think Brentford obviously is still a question mark, but I think because it's going to be their first time ever coming in the Premier League, you got to think that they're going to spend some money, do everything they can to to try to stay up. Um, I think they have a a, a good young yeah, coach but as like well. Like I said, that's not that's not how they operate. They're their, I mean, their their biggest rivalry in the Premier League in terms of uh, vicinity is going to be Chelsea. They're a West London club as well. Uh, they've been overshadowed by Fulham for their entire existence and had a very painful championship final loss to Fulham last year in the championship final. But they do things completely opposite to how Fulham do them, where Fulham are just throwing bags of cash into uh, keeping themselves in the Premier League every time they come up, and it obviously hasn't worked. So... Brentford are going at it from a very, very different uh, perspective of we're going to stay within our means, develop talent, sell them on for uh, as big of transfer uh, kitty as we can, and then try to spend that money efficiently throughout our squad to give us the depth to slowly build our way up. And, you know, they may they may get relegated this time. I don't think they will. I think they're smart enough. And Thomas Frank, their, uh, their coach, the Danish coach, is good enough that I think he'll keep them up. But even if they do get relegated... If they're smart enough to keep things, keep the status quo in, in place and just keep on keeping on, I feel like we'll eventually just see them become a mainstay in the Premier League anyway. They're that, that well of a run of a club. So uh, excited to see Brentford in the Premier League. Uh, we probably should mention also that uh, in the last couple of days since we talked about the manager merry-go-round that was happening last week, uh, it, it wasn't Antonio Conte that ended up at Real Madrid. It was surprisingly Carlo Ancelotti for a second time. He signed a three-year deal there, leaving Everton after a year and a half of, you know, kind of mediocre uh, results and, and league finishes. Uh, how surprised were you by this one, Javier? Because I was... I, I was kind of shocked. I just didn't I see how. I didn't see how one, it was possible. I thought he did a decent job at Everton, but they finished in 10th place, like... They finished behind a promoted lead side with negative one goal difference. Like, I know that they looked good early on and they had a couple of injuries, but he didn't do that good of a job with a lot of money. An Everton side that spent, you know, uh, the same amount as teams like Arsenal and Chelsea. You know, I think well, yeah, they're, they're a lot right of people would point towards their injuries for that. And I know everyone has had injuries, but there were like some points in the year where they were playing like Godfrey at left back and. They were, they were just playing a bunch of center backs, uh, like some in midfield, some at right back and left back. And Yes, but they were almost all healthy and they were still going, sometimes into, getting results. going into the last like 10 games of the season yeah, with, a that's good when chance, they with a good chance to make it to the top four. And they completely choked and ended in 10th place, like below Arsenal and Leeds and teams that have been in the bottom half of the table for most of the season. So for me... I don't know how he got the job with Real Madrid. Obviously, there's got to be, you know, because of his relationship with them before, because of how well he did in in the the situation he got sacked there. Basically, I think he won the double and they sacked him. So, you know, he's he's going back having the highest reputation and he still looks like he's got some coach left in him. So I was not expecting that. But then the other rumor that's strongly coming would, around. Would you take him at Arsenal? Would you take Zidane at Arsenal to build Arsenal? Sure, it takes it on. But I was going to say the other rumor that's coming around that it's I not do not happen, like. But it would be that I do not like. Okay. Alex is Antonio Conte to Tottenham. I I refuse to believe that just yet, mainly because you know I I don't need that in my life. That's that's too much stress. Uh, but also, the, Antonio Conte's main problem everywhere he's gone before is that. When he starts out at a club, he starts out with, you know, the success at his back that's caused him to get the job. And, you know, the, the, the higher ups at the club believe in him and they're like, oh, he's going to win us a title like he did at the last couple stops. And then as they start to work with him more and more and more over the next year, not even multiple years, they start to realize how demanding and how pushy he is of his own 
uh, bosses basically to give him the tools that he thinks he thinks he deserves, which you, you can't really argue with him on because he is an extremely successful manager. Yeah, but you, they, they just came from Mourinho, and, and, so you got to think that they're but, used to the bitchy but, bossy bosses. Yeah, but Javier, there seems to be a whole lot of this going around Europe right now. I think Zidane is another uh, another uh, fallout of this. Of clubs just, you know, not having the means at the moment. Super clubs, big clubs, Inter, Real Madrid, Barcelona. Barcelona are signing big players on free transfers and making it out like they're doing this huge overhaul, even though they're spending a bunch of, you know, money just on the the contracts themselves and not transfer fees. They don't have the money to support someone like Antonio Conte and his incessant drive to, you know, push on and not just win Serie A, but... Uh, get back into real contention in the Champions League. And the Chinese owners of Inter have just said, oh, no, that's not our plan. We need to, you know, sell off assets. And yeah, that's not going to work for us. So they they left with him. And I think that's something what happened with Zidane at, uh, at Real Madrid. He thought, they've brought me in to, you know, <laughs> you know, remake Real Madrid in my image after all my success. But then they won't give me the actual monetary tools to go to go do it. At the level of clubs like that, the, the level of investment you need to sign significant impact players there is is so much that now in a pandemic, it's probably just kind of for most of them, yeah, let's take a summer off and then get fans back in and get the revenue back in streaming like significantly and then we'll go from there. Who knows? So, but, but maybe if bringing in Antonio Conte keeps Harry Kane and Son around a couple more years, then... Maybe that's just the move that they're going to have to do and they're going to have to put up with. And, and honestly, it would be a great move for Tottenham. I really, really hope that that does not happen. So, um, if, I mean, I'm calling it now. If Antonio Conte comes in, he would come in under the the understanding that neither Kane nor Son will be sold. Otherwise, that would breach his own contract. He would absolutely say that. He would also get them top four. I would probably predict that. He would get them top four at least. And, uh, I mean... The I don't I don't know about the the conference league or whatever they're in, but I think they'll go out of that like embarrassingly at like the later stages. Just backing up my Conte sucks in Europe claim, but he'll get them top four and he'll you know get that Tottenham uh, you know group back on track, which I hate to see. But if it happens, then it happens. It's just another example of the Premier League being being made uh, extremely interesting next year from top to bottom. Uh, so speaking of uh, the Premier League, we're going to rewind back to last year, give a few of our awards of the season. We start out with Premier League player of the season. We have we have Andrew's picks and we'll talk about them yeah, ourselves. We, we, but. We, we can talk about it a little. Andrew. So Andrew's player of the season is Ruben Diaz. And I think he's going to end up being the, the player of the season uh, for the Premier League as well. Um, you already won the Football Writers Association Player of the Season, which and, I think is a pretty. And I think I think if anyone wants to award. pick him, you know, you, I I would not fault you. He was he was probably my my second pick. I I think that for his debutante season, he was very good. But at the beginning of the season, his first like ten games he played, he was actually kind of poor. There were definitely a lot of moments where City lost games or like he gave up. I think two penalties in that uh, against Leicester. So the, there were moments when he came in at the beginning of the season where he was uh, rusty and obviously adapting to a new league. He adapted very quickly, and then the second half of the season he was absolutely brilliant. But I think a lot of that credit has to go to the system that he was playing, having the the rise of John Stones, who was has been... No, 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 no. Really? That's the narrative you're going to spin? Well, no, think, I'm going to say I'm going to say there were, the there were opposite there narrative. Was a lot of John Stones played well because of Ruben Diaz, you know, fitting in and sort of like just making himself more comfortable with the league and finding himself a more like I don't know, D- a significant S- partner. Stones completely Once they started like, fucking around with stuff and playing different lineups and formations and combinations of center back partners and just stuck with Stones and Diaz. That was the round of the time in December into, you know, March or whatever, that we saw City really kick it up into third gear and start to destroy everyone. And and to me, Diaz was the catalyst for that. He's the defender back there. Stones is the, he's the player. He's the Andreas Christensen and Ruben Diaz is the Rudiger. I, I'm saying in terms of their role that I see them play yeah, out I, on the pitch. Yeah, I get it. I get it. 
I get it. But I'm just saying there were times this season where Ruben Diaz, you know, he was also able to, to, to rest in a lot of games, get a lot of ro- rotation in. So, yes, he played he played very well, especially in the second half of the season. Won a league in his first season in the league. Played in the I, best defense in the league. Absolutely. I don't fault anyone who picks him for player of the season. So, uh, I think that's a great pick for Andrew there. Um, Alex, you want to give yours? Yeah, I chose Ilkay Gundogan because it's definitely his best uh, Premier League season at Manchester City. And I just think the timing of when he went on his run, right around the time when uh, Kevin De Bruyne was injured Thir- 13 uh, for a goals bit. and two assists in the league in only 28 matches. That's very, very impressive. Wow. Right. And I was going to say, from, and three December, goals, so. from December 15th, 2020, wow. from December 15th, middle of December 2020 to middle of February 2021, he had 11 goals and, a, and one assist in Premier League games alone. And I think in almost all those games, in a two month De Bruyne, span for De Bruyne, midfield, De Bruyne just didn't play in the midfield. He was hurt. Well, yeah, he was he was injured. That, right. That's when Gundogan stepped up into that like real. I mean, Foden as well has to be mentioned, and we'll get onto him in a second. But in terms of like the the star player and the the one really winning games for Manchester City, Elkay Gundogan. Uh, the memory I'll never be able to erase from my mind is of Manchester City like first breaking out. Uh, really this season when they beat us 3-1 at Stamford Bridge in early January. And it was, I think it was Foden, De Bruyne, and, and, and Gundogan in the first half within like 15 minutes of each other just like put us to the sword. And Gundogan's goal, like with this like quick turn at the top of the box and lasering a shot into the bottom right corner. It was just, it was something I hadn't seen from him and since the the, the borderline Ballon d'Or year he had at, Gundo, at uh, Dortmund back when they went to the Champions League final. He was uh, absolutely pivotal then, and he's gotten as close to that uh, this season that I've, I've ever seen him, and I think we ever will see him. So um, I'm not sure what way City went on choosing their player of so, the year, but Gundogan was probably their player of the year for me, and yeah, I, if so I, facto, I, is I, Premier League player of the year. I agree with you. I think that we didn't see him be nearly as influential the last three months of the season because he was mostly rested um, and then played in Europe. Um, he was part of like the the city main lineup who I mean, played. He still had a, he had a good amount of nineties. His production he, he in terms of goals games. and assists drop yeah. off, but he still played like full ninety minutes of big games against uh, Man United and uh, oh, no, Aston he played, Villa. He played and, in all of the big games. I'm just saying, I think we saw him not have to score goals and uh, anymore because. Players like De Bruyne came back, like Aguero. Yeah, Foden got even better. Like Jesus, who were all hurt for a while. You know, Foden started scoring. So all these players stepped up and started getting goals again, and then he didn't have to do that anymore. But I think he easily could have scored, you know, 15, 20 goals this season if he had been the main man for for City, which for a good three months he was. So, yeah, it's a great shout-out, Alex. I think he's... You know, got to be in the top five players for the for the season for anybody. Um, and then for me, uh, I I picked Bruno Fernandes. Bruno Fernandes, uh, who I know he scored a lot of penalties this year, but he had eighteen goals and twelve assists in the league, so thirty goal contributions, which is the most um, outside of Harry Kane. Who shout out to Harry Kane? He also had a hell of a year, um, but he, you know, Bruno Fernandes was the the, the catalyst in pretty much everything good that Manchester United did this season. This is a team who finished comfortably in second place um, in a league that was difficult this year. It was very difficult, like Alex said. There were, you know, Teams like Leicester, like West Ham, Villa, Leeds were picking off teams left and right that you wouldn't have expected. Um, even you know Everton, uh, just everyone was getting wins that you wouldn't have expected. But United, for the most part, they, they, were, they were consistent this year. They got draws in their away games. Uh, or, or like in their big games um, that maybe they should have lost and then they got wins in a lot of games that maybe they should have drawn and almost all of that was down to, to Bruno Fernandez his, his big game mentality you know uh, the one thing that I don't like about him well the, the big game thing is what he's been criticized for that he's not been as good in the biggest of games that you may hope he I think that's would. bullshit I think that's bullshit he scored against a lot of the big teams he's he creates a lot of chances that players like Rashford, like Martial, like Pogba have missed. 
and you don't see the impact that he really has until you watch these full United games and you're and you're seeing you know what he's doing off, off like he's also he's also a leader I know that he he complains a lot but he does push the rest of his teammates to to be better players um and he's really just the elevated thing- this United side to from being like a mediocre barely making top 4 side to they made it they comfortably got second place this season so so the people I, for the me, people 18 that goals, I've seen 12 assists is pretty incredible and then I think in in all competitions he almost had 30 goals so did like 28 yeah yeah uh, I saw a lot of Man United fans like shitting on like Frank Lampard cuz Bruno Fernandes did like these kinds of stats in like his first full Premier League season uh, but I think it's kind of important to note that <laughs> like nine of his uh, 18 Premier League goals were penalties like like he's obviously scored other goals and this, the assists right, are if undeniable. You, if you take out those nine but, penalties and you nine goals, 12 assists is still like a phenomenal still very good for a midfielder. Yeah, but I'm just saying, I, I would just say that if you were picking Bruno Fernandez, I mean, okay, for the, the fact that his team finished in second place, he was the, he was the best player on that team by far. Uh, I, I can understand that, uh, that standpoint, but of stats alone, You'd have to give Harry Kane some consideration because he's the first player since uh, since uh, Thierry since, Henry, since yeah. Andy, and no, since Andy Cole oh, back Andy in Cole, 1993 yeah. to lead the Premier League in goals and assists, which is no mean feat. They're the only two players to ever pull it off. Um, I, I know Tottenham didn't really make anything of it, not finishing uh, in the top four, winning yeah, any trophies, it's but because they it's still a very impressive scoreline to them. Yeah, but you're you're hearing. If you're hearing arguments for Bruno, I can understand why uh, Kane would then get some uh, some attention as well because his stats have been absolutely insane but despite yes, lack uh, of team honorable success. mention to Harry Kane. He's got to be in anyone else's top five as well because he's been unreal this season. So, Young player of the season. Andrew went very simple. Phil Foden. I don't think you can really go wrong with that. He probably will yeah. win the award. I, mean, I won't he's, really he's be mad the, about it. He's probably the shoe-in for the award. And I mean, Phil Foden this year, just quickly his... Nine Premier League goals, five assists, um, add three Champions League goals. This was absolutely his breakout season. You know, he only played 28 matches. He was he was also with Ilkay Gundogan. You know, he played the big games, but in a lot of the small games, he wasn't. He was completely rested. Um, so he, he, we got to see a lot of the the best of Phil Foden this season. And I mean, in that final against Chelsea, he was probably one of the the best players, one of the most dangerous players on the pitch. Even though Ingolo and and Jorginho and, and Kovacic, they were all, you know, harrying him and, and staying on him. And he still was probably one of City's best players. So exciting future for this kid. He's going to be, I'm sure, very, very good at the Euros this summer. And uh, yeah, no, uh, very jealous that Manchester City have a player that's that's that good. Pep Guardiola speaks wonders of him. You know, says he's never seen a player so talented at nineteen twenty. So... Who's your selection? I know we're. Uh, I mean, we could all pick Phil Foden, but that uh, wouldn't uh, be yeah, fun. Yeah, we could all pick Phil Foden. I uh, I'm going with Bukayo Saka. Uh, I know it's it, Alex. You might laugh or think it's a little bit controversial, but for me, he was his Arsenal's stats best player up. by far. Yeah, um, I don't think you can argue with his stats at all. He I think he, he had double figures for goals and assists in all it, competitions. Yeah, and you know he he was at times the player that we completely relied on for three or four months of the season before Emile Smith-Rowe broke, in the season, broke into the team in, in late December and early January. He was pretty much the only good thing that was coming out of the an Arsenal side. And to still be the only bright star in a team that was so dark and damp and w- was in you know near the relegation for the first four months of the season, I think is a testament to how good this player really is. And if we get enough players around him um, who can match that level of energy and of commitment that he gives? I think he's. You're, you're going to see him have even more goals and assists, and even take even more chances, and, and be a lot more confident in himself. So, for me, Bukayo Saka, this was his breakout season. I know he's gotten game time in the last couple of years, and even you know since he was 16. But we do have to remember that this kid is only 19. You know, he's 19 years old, and he's doing what he's been doing. And I know that, like. Uh, you're gonna your your candidates Mason Mount, but like Mason Mount's like 23, 20, 20, 22, I think about to turn twenty three. But um, I me mean, just turned twenty two. 
Oh, okay. He just turned 22. Okay. So, uh, but I think that Bubakayo being a teenager, doing what he's done, you know, he's got to be the thing that we build around and we got to keep him at all costs. So, um, yeah, he's my player, young player of the season for me. Yeah, I mean, you, you spoil spoil my pick a little bit, but you know, why not go with the, uh, the Chelsea player of the season when he? Uh, I, I can't fits fault anyone saying range. Mason Mount either because he's I mean, been unreal in the Premier League for you guys. For me, Phil your Foden's best player. Stats, Phil Foden's stats look better. Uh, he's I don't have them in front of me, but Mason Mount has six goals and five assists in the league alone. But yeah, uh, uh, I know these are like I know these are like Premier League assists. awards. Technically, we've titled them as Premier League awards, but I'm just going off like player of, like of the season, all competitions. Like, bring them into account. Mason Mount scored the breakthrough goal in the quarterfinal of the Champions League against uh, Porto. He scored the ceiling goal in the two nil second leg at home against Real Madrid, and then he played the killer ball for Kai Havertz in the final to win one nil in the Champions League. So I think that adds a little bit of. Uh, of of a, of a leg to stand on for Mason Mount and his young player of the year candidacy. He also played the most minutes in the Premier League of any Chelsea player, more than Edward Mendy, more than Aspilicueta, more than Timo Werner. He, yeah, and, uh, and, he's and he, an absolute. Also, me the one thing I want to mention of... before we move on, real quick, is that in terms of like the well, top I don't five move leagues, on. I wanted to talk about Mason. You well, fuck. yeah, I'm going to let you. I just I just want to finish with something on on, on Mason for myself. Is that of the top five leagues, there, I saw a list of chances created in uh, the domestic leagues and uh, European leagues com- combined for each player. And Mason Mount ranks fifth on that list. First is Bruno Fernandez with 133, then Hakan Naglu uh, with 112 from AC Milan, Thomas Muller, uh, 107, Lionel Messi, 100, Mason Mount, 99, Kevin De Bruyne, 95, Trent Alexander Arnold, 95. I can keep going down the list. There's some good players there, but you're seeing around the list to Mason Mount is Lionel Messi one chance ahead of him and Kevin De Bruyne four behind him. Yeah, if and only, you just if think only, like he is in Chelsea that rarefied air now. Yeah, if only Chelsea yes. strikers. Had if only we had season, a striker to score all Matt of these key like chances assists, that we create. Absolutely. But it, despite that, he's creating them and he's playing consistently. After many people feared for his uh, physical ability to you know play this amount of games, and he's put all of those doubts to bed. He's my uh, standout young player of the season. I, I would not be mad if Phil Foden won it because he was outstanding as well. If Saka won it, though, I'd be absolutely like, you can't you can't finish like seventh. What were you guys seventh, eighth in the league? And yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. You I know, know. and with I so know. many other it was just players, for me. and it was just to make it more interesting, you know. But did, yeah, did I sure say Foden everything that there is to be before. said about? Is there? Did I say everything there is to be said about Mount? Did I leave nothing left for you to uh, go crazy on? No, but you 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 gushed about him enough on the last pod as well that <laughs> he I'm deserves sure we'll, he deserves gushing. Javier, he okay, deserves you it. tried to say he's going to win the Ballon d'Or, or he's not going to win the Ballon yeah, d'Or. Okay, th- that was these were jokes, Javier. I was tweeting that out in the middle of the game after he played the pass. Everyone knows the Ballon d'Or should go to N'Golo Kante. Actually, serious question: If N'Golo Kante wins the Euros with France, would you? Would you support him for Ballon d'Or? No, you finished fourth in the league. Sorry. Wow. Okay. Who, who would you give it to then? Lewandowski for the uh, record? Probably Lewandowski. Yeah, he deserves it too after last year. The and last the, two like years. as a makeup for last year. Yeah, that's the one outcome that I thought that kind of makes sense. He deserved it last year. He had another great season this year, despite no European he, success. Yeah, he had forty-one goals or something in the league. Like yeah, absurd. And he played only thirty games. Um, but yeah, we got it. We got to kind of move on here. Move on. Right? <laughs> Manager of the season. There's uh, there's a there's a whole lot of pl- uh, people to pick from. Andrew p- picked uh, David Moyes, which uh, I, I can't take fault with. I, 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 think I can't a lot of either. I think Moyes West Ham is for, probably like, going to win it. I think Moyes is probably going to win it. We all of us were thinking West Ham was going to be a relegation candidate or finish in 16th or something. For them to finish fifth, be in a chit in the conversation for Champions League till the last couple of games of the season, it's a huge achievement for David Moyes. Congratulations for them getting Europa. Um, there's been rumors that now that Everton are managerless, that they've been going after Moyes, but I think West Ham are trying to lock him down for three years. So that's you know, not happening. Congrats to Moyes, you know, for for having such a fantastic season. And it, you know, if he can if he can hold Declan Rice, if he can hold a couple of these other players that um, you know like Antonio and and 
um, like Suchek, then I think he's got a great base to build on, and he can you know try to push through that five, six, seven spot again next season. Yeah, I'm gonna go with uh, Pep Guardiola, not only because he won the league, because uh, I'm looking here and uh, people seem to have just completely forgotten and overlooked that from December nineteenth, two thousand twenty, to t- <laughs> to March second, two thousand twenty-one. Man City won every single game in their Premier League schedule. That's one, two. I also want to point out three, they four, didn't have five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen wins in a row. And before that, they drew two games and won two games. So they had been unbeaten even longer than that up until that Manchester United loss uh, around early March. So I mean, that's the reason they won the league right there. And that's the reason I picked Ilkay Gundogan, because that's the period of the season where he showed his best form and sealed them that league title. And uh, I think that's the patch of the season we'll need to point towards when we uh, reference that Pep Guardiola was the the best manager of this season. Yeah, I I agree with you, Alex. I mean, I think that he did a phenomenal job. You saw players like Sinchenko being used as like the inverted left back. You saw Jacques Ancelo playing across the back line. You saw, you know, Mendy returning to form. You saw like rotations throughout the season, just constantly. It was the City introduction of the Phil Foden false nine, yeah, and Phil Foden becoming the player we've seen now. City became the best defensive team that we've seen them become, and it's a scary base to build on. You know that they're gonna go out and probably get more attacking talent. I don't think they ever went and really replaced Leroy Sané and the goals that he had. And like the well, the, Ferran, Ferran Torres, I think, is going to be who they yeah, rely on for that. Yeah, I think that's that was their replacement. But at the end there. yeah, he showed flashes, but they they're going to need to give him another year or two before he really comes into the team. But yeah, for me, I think the 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 manager of my manager of the season is Bielsa, one who Pep greatly admires, um, purely because of the 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 method that they won their games, the the way that they you know scored four or five goals against lesser opposition and we're able to stay get nil nil draws with you know teams like Arsenal like Chelsea like you know Manchester United just getting results against big teams beating Manchester City all of these things in his first season and finishing the top half of the table for me Bielsa did an unreal job they're also the team that spent the 20th they're the least the team with the smallest budget in the league so to finish ninth with the smallest budget in the league for me was was an unreal achievement and has to be be also has to be congratulated and if he's given some money to spend and uh you know he he's given a uh well, you, you a, can sa- save the rest of your your diatribe for your surprise of the season yeah yeah you're right <laughs> i mean the thing i mean i i do want to chime in on bielsa because i'm definitely not going to chime in well, on the leads part you know, since i but spoiled bielsa- your your young player of the season you're you alex is spoiling my we're doing a surprise surprise player and team of the season. Mine was Leeds as well. You know, they, they completely surprised Namely Bamford. me. Yeah, Namely Patrick and, Bamford. And and the player that surprised me the most by far was Bamford, who by all accounts and purposes was a championship striker, had had a couple of spouts, a couple of games in the Premier League with like Crystal Palace and um, I don't remember what other team he was on, but I know he's on Millsborough in the championship, but he never looked like he was going to be a Premier League striker. And for him to come out, and I think he has 17 Premier League goals in his first season, which I know I was like joking to you, Alex, that he was going to have more goals than Timo Werner in like November, but he ended up having more than double Timo Werner's goals in the league, which I know you're like, ah, but Timo Werner won the Champions League, so guess who's really laughing? But um, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, that trumps everything. It does, it does. But I'm saying, what an impressive season for, for Bamford. The other really impressive player on Leeds was Calvin Phillips, who I didn't I, I didn't really know him that well, but now I know how, how good of a midfielder you he can, is. You can do a whole podcast about like the number of Leeds players who outplayed what was expected of them. Stuart Dallas and as well, yeah. I mean, there I'll, was, I'll, we I'll all agree do. with you on Calvin Phillips, but the, the one I was thinking of that first came to mind was Jack Harrison, who some people he may remember years well, ago. Yeah was a Manchester City loanee to New York City FC who was like 21 years old and was playing with David Villa and Frank Lampard in those teams. 
And then he goes back to Manchester City, doesn't make the grade, goes on a bunch of loans and eventually finds a home in, in Leeds. And in his first season at Leeds, he had eight goals, some of them absolute blinders, brilliant goals and eight assists, too. And he was an absolute workhorse. And I just I, I didn't see that for him. I saw him as more of a as a uh, uh, more of a flamboyant player and not like the sort of hardworking, gritty player that Marcelo Bielsa has turned him into. So, yeah, I'm uh, sorry, just to add to that surprise. Um, but should we mention Andrew's surprise of the season? Yeah, He's kind Andrew's, of already hinted Andrew's at surprise, it with, which we already talked to him a little, but his was West Ham, who I don't ma- think, that, namely Jesse Lingard, and Jesse that, that Lingard, was a huge who I was surprise. about to say, I don't think West Ham would have pushed for top four if Jesse Lingard hadn't gone on that ridiculous run of like seven or eight games in a row that he scored and you know looked amazing. Ah, shout out to Joe Willock for young player of the year. I know that he's not going to win it because he really only played for like half the season, but if he had been on Newcastle for a full season and, you know, did what he did there for a full year, he could have possibly won it. So for those, for the last three months, there has not been a young player as good as Joe Willock, but yes, Alex. I don't know about the last three months because a bunch of those players we've been talking about, namely Foden and Mount have been doing it at like the late levels of the champions league. (laughs) Not just the Premier League all level. Right, all so. right, that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> so, surprise of the season. Uh, mine was uh, Ollie Watkins. I, I was optimistic about him when he first came up uh, from Brentford, but I, I was a little skeptical. Yeah, that, that's my uh, other like, and, uh, surprise player. I, I was and completely Aston shocked Villa that he overall. was as good. I mean, we all know Grealish is you know a very good player and was the player who basically kept Villa up almost by himself last year, apart from that defense. But Villa took a real step forward this year where they're not just the uh, sit back and defend deep, even though they do still have that in their locker and are capable of you know closing the game down and frustrating you. But they sort of developed into this team that has a couple of decent players in possession now and some players who can threaten him behind, like... Uh, uh, like Watkins and like El Ghazi and uh, Bertrand Traore provided yeah, Bertrand uh, some Traore. class I mean, at he, times. He was the one. He destroyed you the last day of the season, right? Like, yeah, exactly. It, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it was it's written in the stars honestly, for Chelsea. Honestly, if if Grealish hadn't gotten hurt, you know that this Villa side would have probably finished. They would, they would have been pushing it, for Europe. Yeah, they, they would have been, been pushing for Europe. He was West playing Ham. that well. I was Absolutely. talking about him as a player of the season candidate up until that injury. He was that good. And it's, it's really unfortunate that it looked initially I, I, honestly, like an injury. Honestly, and their manager, back their manager Dean from. Smith, I didn't think he was a very good manager. I thought after they almost got relegated last season that they were had well, needed to get rid of him want, to, to make it to the next something level. About, do you want to know something about Dean Smith? Dean Smith uh, was the Brentford manager before uh, Thomas Frank. He was uh, pulled away by... Makes Aston sense. Villa, his boy, Makes his boyhood sense. club, but he had been doing very well for Brentford in their very steady uh, ascendance into the position they're in now. And uh, yeah, just shows Brentford know what they're doing. They know who they're appointing. And, yeah, Mar- uh, Martinez, absolutely for me, the, the the signing of the season or one of them, you know, uh, up there with, with probably if you, Kai If you Havertz. gave a straight up goalie award for the season, I know the Golden Gloves goes to Ederson for getting the most clean yeah, sheets. Got, but if you gave be, a best goalie, would you Martinez. give it to Martinez yeah, or Yeah, it's got to be Martinez. Yeah, it's I agree be. because you, you, if you come under as much uh, pressure as he has at some points this season and still held up and made amazing saves, then that deserves uh, plaudits for sure. Um, then, but yeah, uh, Villa, yeah, Villa finishing out, well was very surprising. Yeah, shout out also to the rest of the Villa backline who, you know, players like Matty Cash, who I had no idea would be this good this season. And yeah, Matt Target at left back, Matt Target Tyron as Mings, well, and, and Mings, Esri yeah. Kansa. Exactly. All of them ended up being monstrous and, you know, you could even see them, any of them end up at other Premier League Cubs down the line. So uh, very surprising team from both Leeds, uh, West Ham and Villa all were were definitely surprises this season. And I think we'll see more of those, you know, surprises next year. So hopefully, hopefully we see more surprises next year. Javier, I know this is going to be very hard for you. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll turn on the world's smallest violin and play it for you as you, you you give this next response but who was your disappointment of the season Javier I know you really believed in them for a very long time and you know, it just didn't quite work out I, go on Javier I, this is I, a safe space I, Pour your I heart wrote out. this but I think I'm gonna change no 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 yeah yeah it's, it's written <laughs> I was it's gonna written say in stone. <laughs> let the record state Javier's disappointment of the season Spurs slash Mourinho he ha- I'm going to give the I'm going to give it for you because you don't have the balls to. 
he believed in them for so much of the first part of the season. He was to. like, I thought he was like, oh, funny. it's Liverpool and Spurs. <laughs> I know. Will I Liverpool catch Spurs for the them. title I even, this year? Yeah, I kept predicting them. What do you have to say for yourself? I had to put this in there, Alex. You know, just to just to humor you. You know, yes, my biggest disappointment. The Spurs trash can garbage cans that they are. Now, honestly, I'm more disappointed in Mourinho, who I thought. I thought that this, you know, this is usually the year where you see Mourinho turn things around. I thought, well, yeah, last year, you know, he had to come in to kind of a bad situation. There was that whole Amazon documentary. Sure, you give him a pass. But I thought this year they would be able to do it. They looked really good in the first three or four months of the season. And they just completely fell off a cliff. They they had a top two clash with Liverpool in December. It was Tottenham in first and Liverpool in second and Liverpool beat them to go top. And that was that was being marketed as oh the perhaps the early season title decider like little did we know neither of these teams would be anywhere near the title and they would like both be pushing just to get back into the European places by the end of the year. I mean that's a commentary on Liverpool and how much their season fell off after that, but Tottenham as well uh, as usual right around December as it is for many clubs shit hit the fan and I think nothing sums it up as well as them being 2-0 up against who was it Dynamo Zagreb and then going to Zagreb and losing 3-0 and getting knocked out of the Europa League like like, I think Mourinho said after that that was one of the last few games before he was fired he he just said to that like at what point like I can't control it (laughs) which is that was ridiculous I mean again and this is like this is I thought that you know, Mourinho got a little bit hard done by by them firing him right before that final. But, you know, it, it seems like the season had already been gone after that, that Dinamo's uh, grab game. And, yeah, I just obviously I'm disappointed in the way that Arsenal did this season. But I really didn't expect them to do that well anyway. I kind of expected Spurs to do better than Arsenal, and they pretty much did just as shit as us. So that's why they're my biggest disappointment, even though Arsenal definitely probably just as just as high up there so yeah Andrew's uh decision for biggest disappointment unsurprisingly is Sadio Mane even though he popped up for two goals on the last day of the season to seal them Champions League for another year and he didn't put a team but I yeah even though yeah he put Sadio Mane but I don't I don't know if that's that's fair like there were like Sadio Mane was not great this year, but there was a lot of Liverpool players. He, he was a disappointment. Well. He was there's a disappointment, a lot of but he wasn't the biggest the, disappointment I think of the season. I think there's a lot bigger. For ones Andrew, than, he was. If maybe, I was Andrew, I, maybe. But then I guess the team that Andrew was probably most disappointed in, and I was going to say Wolves, purely because Andrew always loved to bet on Wolves and you know thought Wolves. Well, yeah, was once the second, once, the second once your coming of cropped, Jesus, uh, Raúl Jiménez and ruined Wolves' seasons. Thanks, yes. Arsenal. Yes, we do. Thanks, David them. Louise. That's what they get for doing uh, the double over us, motherfuckers. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my biggest disappointment, a little out of left field, but I feel like they need to be mentioned after such a big effect on the Premier League a year or two ago when they first came up, is uh, Sheffield United. They lost Jack O'Connell, one of the very important players in their back three uh, before the season even started, uh, and they knew he was out for the rest of the year. And they were missing Egan, uh, John Egan, they're another center back who's very important to them for big periods of the season. And what started out with them just losing like a few games, 1-0, 2-0, 2-1, another 1-0, maybe drawing 1-1 or 0-0, uh, just eventually when they realized their league place was just so far off, it just turned out they'd, they'd come to these games against bigger teams and get absolutely piped. Like the the four one at Chelsea, and uh, there's been a good few since then. But it, it just kind of snowballed from there. And one of the players they brought in to, and they spent a good amount of money to bring him in to try and inject a little bit of uh, energy and quickness into their front line and some it was goals. A record was, signing was twenty five million. Brewster, they yeah twenty. I think it was twenty five or maybe twenty eight million from Liverpool. He was. A Chelsea Academy player was in the same age group as like Reese James and Mason Mount and eventually left there and uh, went to Liverpool around 14 or 15. I'm going to preface Andrew's, this by saying Andrew's like, been he, raving he about him for years. Young player, yeah. He, he's still a very promising young player and he did very well in the championship last season in the second half for Swansea. I, I remember watching him when Conor Gallagher and uh, Mark Gahey, both Chelsea players, were on loan there and Rian Brewster was the center forward. 
And I think he scored like five or six goals in the championship. So not amazing numbers, but uh, good for like a first professional season. He's going back down to the championship now with uh, Sheffield after, you know, not scoring at all for them in 28 appearances in the Premier League after them breaking their transfer record for him. And uh, uh, it's up to him to, you know, bag the goals that you would expect him to in the championship, get Sheffield back up to the Premier League as soon as possible and continue his development and and hopefully have a better uh, second showing of it. So uh, that's my disappointment of the season. Javier, do you have anything to add on uh, this Premier League season? Manchester City, champions thank, thank again. Thank God it's fucking over. <laughs> this is episode 299. We're going to think of something different to do for episode 300. Andrew's going to uh, jump on. We'll, we'll figure out something to do. If you've got any ideas for uh, uh, what games or team of the seasons or something we should do for episode 300 uh, let us know at, on social media at asmos92 at javierrev9 for javier's uh, twitter uh, at angry Bissaro and for the ghost goal podcast at ghost goal pod and then next week you've got the euro 2021 and copa america previews yeah, we're not, coming this, this pod's not taking a break we're gonna it's, keep we're, the there's no breaks rolling. here no breaks here. Javier and I, we're going to dive into some of these Euros groups and uh, take a brief glance at the Copa America. Hey, who knows? Maybe we'll even look at uh, whatever the U.S. national team's doing. I hear they've got some good players now. Some players actually worthy of watching. So, uh, yeah. Keep an Christian eye out Pulisic, on this. Uh, first feed. American to ever win the Champions League. Men. Yeah, you There's like been like that? eight women like or nine women. but I don't give a fuck, Javier. I just won the Champions League. I know it's Kai Havertz, but... All right, Javier, thanks again. Thank you all for listening. I don't like your confusing question. This doesn't matter, man. We won the game, okay? <laughs> that, is, that is that is a terrible team of Werner. Team of Werner. Ah, Javier, God. <laughs> you, you have to speak like this. I don't understand I speak, the question. I do not understand the question. I, yeah. I do not understand the question, but I do not care because we just won the Champions League, yeah? All right. <laughs> on that note, until next time. See ya.